0: I know we've been praying in this whole season, but today I just felt this urgency to pray. I feel, I don't even, I said, Lord, I don't, I don't know why today more than all the rest of the days, I just had this urgency today. So I'm going to continue praying. Like, I don't even want to preach. I want to keep praying. I am going to preach right now. That's still the Holy Spirit, but that's how much I feel it in me. So just be diligent with me today as the church Uh, Just continue as the Holy Spirit has us praying. Uh, Some things are changing and turning in the spirit. God is moving. God is still God. And uh, what that means, what that looks like in the natural may not be what you expect. And uh, I don't want to get off. I want to stay focused on what I'm going to preach on here today. But I want to just say this, that when Jesus came, most people... Missed him. Proportionally, they missed him because he did not come in the way that they expected. I just found myself in my studies, and uh, there's someone else that you guys may have been listening to this month. He's been praying every day and bringing dreams and prophecies, so if you've been listening to him, he just said something similar this week. And I felt the same thing in my spirit. Don't think that you have the book of Revelation and Daniel and Isaiah and the prophecies of Christ all figured out like a timeline on your wall. Because, first of all, if you do that, whose timeline do you follow? Every ministry has their own timeline on their wall, and they have figured out the seven years and the three and a half years and so on. I'm not saying that many of the points that they're making are true, or maybe one of those timelines is perfect, but what I want to say is this, we don't know. Jesus could surprise us. We may, for all we know, have been in Revelation for the last 2,000 years, because Paul calls it the last days, Peter calls it the last days, and even Jesus of his own mouth says the kingdom is at hand. When I read the apostles, it seems to be that even Jesus, right, point to the time that they were living in as the last days. So for all we know, the book of Revelation has been unfolding. There are some theories that the seventh church, right, Laodicea, is now, that it's been unfolding, That there's not just seven churches in the region, but they prophetically were the times of history. I don't know the answer to that. I'm not saying that that's my opinion. I'm just saying that Jesus said, and this is where we're going. All right, Holy Spirit. Jesus said out of his own mouth, I wrote some things down here that I thought I might touch on, and there we go. Mark 13, verse 32. However, No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. He's talking about some end times things. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. Two thousand years ago, Jesus told his followers, you don't know what time it's going to be, so be on guard, stay alert. You know what they were thinking in 300 A.D.? And in 1,000 A.D.? And in 1400, 1492, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue? And in 1892... And certainly in 1992, because I was living in that time and I remember Jesus is coming back. That's the healthiest Christianity you could have. It's only the devil who has tried to ostracize the Christian that's looking for the Lord's coming and is expecting for him to come any moment. That's been the devil. Right, who has experienced flack from just somebody, maybe not your whole church, but Christians? I'm not talking about the world. Who has experienced flack from Christians in your life who get a little uncomfortable when you talk too much about the book of Revelation and the coming of Jesus Christ? For some reason, the devil has convinced the church that the book of Revelation is fringe, that the coming of Jesus Christ is for a midweek Bible study that only the elite Christians are allowed to go to. Am I wrong or am I right? I read Jesus' own words. And I, I wrote this scripture down because I, I wanted to look at Nehemiah again, and we're going to get into that in a moment about just being on guard in general. But as I was looking through the word about being on guard, I was reminded that even Jesus himself told us to be on guard, but not just on guard for the enemy. That's a, that's a fact that we need to be talking about as well, that there's an enemy. But when I started looking at it, I was like, that's right. The Lord's warned us 2,000 years ago to be on guard because more than we have to worry about being on guard for the enemy is that the Lord's suddenness, he's going to come like a thief in the night. And as much as we think, who believes the Lord more than you believe your pastor? Who believes the Lord more than you believe all the prophetic updates? I'm not discounting them. Please do not hear me wrong. All those guys, I hope you don't think I was knocking them. I love all that. I love the study of the end times. I love the study of Revelation. I love all those timelines. All I'm saying is, is don't think that it's going to be exactly like they think it's going to be. Because Jesus never did anything exactly like anyone thought he was going to do. That's what made it so much of a spiritual thing and not a natural thing. That only the spiritual with their eyes open knew. Only what? The wise men and the shepherds found Jesus there. The entire world was asleep. The entire world. And I'm looking at the scriptures and just reminded of what the scriptures say and not what the preacher says, and when I look at those verses, and there's more, First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says uh, in verse 1, Now how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. But we know exactly when it's going to be. All we have to do is just look and, you know, day one of seven years. Wait wait a second, I'm sorry. I meant 3.5 years. I'm, wait, sorry. I meant at the end of the seven years. Do you ever wonder why the Lord's allowed the different timelines? You know why? Because that's not what he wants. He wants us to study and be aware of those things, but we are not supposed to prepare in that sense. It's a continual preparation, continual, always, always on guard. Because you know what? (laughs) It's not funny. It's not funny, but I laugh because who has heard a Christian, maybe they didn't say this in their exact words, but they've got time. Maybe even to sin. They may not say, I'm going to, you know, I've got time to sin in words. But that's certainly what they're implying with their drunkenness. Because I look at a timeline and so I've got time. They've been saying the Lord's been coming back for 2,000 years. Prophecy, Second Peter chapter 3. Hello, you're fulfilling prophecy. It says here that it will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And I remember those days for our three children. You think you're ready. You think you're ready. You're certainly ready. Five month, eight, Dawn's convinced that God messed up. It was eight months, not nine months. And then suddenly, right, no matter how ready you are, but it's so sudden. It's like, okay, here's the day. And there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief for You are all children of light, and of the day, we don't belong to the darkness and night. This is why, wait, let me just pause here. Why aren't we in the dark? Let me just, he's about to answer it, and why won't we be be surprised? In the natural, you'll still be surprised, but your spirit will not be caught off guard because of this, because, verse 6, so be on your guard. That's the only reason. Say it again. Why are we not going to be surprised? We can be. Don't think you can't be. The only reason that we are not going to be surprised in the spirit, although in the natural we will, remember, all the virgins fell asleep. Remember the ten virgins? Even the ones that are looking and ready fell asleep because that's the point. Christ's return will be unexpected And that's the edge that he wants from us. Paul lived that way. Peter lived that way. You read history, and all of the apostles, all the early church, they lived that way. All the people that I've ever looked up to and respected in the kingdom of God have lived on that edge, knowing I've got a very short amount of time. Even if Jesus doesn't come back in my time, I've got a short amount of time. And so he tells us, be on your guard, not asleep like The others. I didn't realize I was going to start this direction. Holy Spirit had a different plan. Not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. I am so surprised, I don't know why I'm surprised, because we know the history in the Bible and of the church, but I'm so surprised how many Christians get drunk. Do You know, even if a Christian wants to drink, because the Bible doesn't explicitly say that you can't have a drink, I can't believe that Christians have no idea where that line is. I was just thinking of a Christian wedding that I went to only less five years ago. And the whole wedding, at a Christian wedding, was drunk. I'm not talking really drunk. I'm not talking like Christian drunk. I mean world drunk. And I'm just like, I don't understand. I don't understand. Doesn't even make sense. Even if you thought we're New Testament Christians, we're not under the law. We can do what we want. It's New Testament, and it literally says, more than once, it's not like, well, that's one scripture, Pastor. Don't be drunk. Obviously, the first Thessalonians 5 is actually a greater than the natural drunk, right? There's a drunk that's greater than the alcohol drunk, which is just a, a foggy. It's just the, the, it's. there's a metaphor here as well that's even greater than the drink, which is that you can live in life in a stupor. You know, like a drunk does. Like they don't know what's going on. Honestly, they don't really care what's going on. And they want to live in that fog. That's the high they're looking for, right? But you know, that the world, and I even hear, even find that Christians just want to live in that fog. They don't really want it too edgy. I don't really want to deal with anything. I don't want to have to do too much. I just kind of want to float through. Of course, I want to go to heaven. And I've got my ticket punch for that. I just want to go to heaven. Just want to enjoy my time here as best I possibly can, kind of float through, skim through, skip this, skip that, give a little bit here and there, and, and then be done. That's not the Christian life that the Lord has called us to. When I used to preach these types of things, I would preach it because I would say, you know, the things could happen. What's well, so funny, you can go back and listen to my five years of preaching, and I'd be like, because you don't know, the times could change and you won't be ready. And now I'm preaching a little bit different today because we are in the time. We're not even in what a worst... I mean, this is still not really the darkness uh, of World War I and World War II. I mean, they were dealing with the Spanish flu, then two world wars, uh, economic, you know, 1929 stock market crash. I mean, a lot of stuff happened in that first 50 years, really. And, and uh, so, I mean, we, we've been dealing with stuff and everybody's saying it's unprecedented. I don't know that it's unprecedented, but it is in other ways, and that's a, different time, that's a different Bible study. But the point is that there have been struggles and things like that happening in the earth. And as a Christian, it, when those times come, if you are sleepy, if you are foggy, if you're just like the world, if you're in a drunkenness, in a stupor, then what's going to happen is is suddenly the time is going to catch you unaware, and if you make it, you're not going to make it with any stars in heaven, that's for sure. Remember your stars from your teacher? Because remember, what we're trying to do is we don't earn our way into salvation, into heaven, but we want to hear from the Lord, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because, you know, the Bible talks about the wicked servant, who didn't treat what God had given him with respect. And it was really outright disrespect. And he said, Lord, I I didn't want to waste what you gave me, so I went and I hid it, but here's it back. I didn't lose it. Here it is. And he said, you wicked and lazy servant. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. 2 Peter chapter 3, an amazing chapter. I'm going to turn there just for a minute. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but some amazing verses in this chapter. I just found myself in here. He says uh, that in verse 1, is that I want to stir up your minds. New King James says he want to stimulate your thinking uh, and refresh your memory. And he goes on to talk about times that we're in right now. You know, the scoffers would say, uh, you know, that, okay, we've heard that. Verse 3 and 4, we've heard about it. And uh, Jesus, yeah, 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 he's coming, blah, blah, blah. I've heard that, been there, done that. Give me my blessing. Give me my happy meal. Just want to live my life. Leave me alone. And then he says in verse 5, they forget. God made the heavens. Then he destroyed it with water. And verse 6. And then in verse 7, it says, and by the same word, the present heavens. Everybody say the present heavens. That's where we live right now. The present earth. It says it's been stored up for fire. And they are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Verse 8, but you, everybody say, but me. But me. me, I'm not forgetting because Peter warned me 2,000 years ago not to forget. That in this present time, we don't forget like the world does. Don't forget, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow. I'm reading out of the NLT. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Verse 10. But, everybody say but. Okay, so the Lord doesn't want anybody but he doesn't want you to not be aware of it. All right, he doesn't want anybody to be, par- to be to perish. He wants them to repent. He's giving us time. But don't forget that this present earth. He said, "I destroyed the first one with a flood. The next one's going to get destroyed with fire." I don't want you to forget that. You don't need to be afraid of that because your confidence is in me. He's re- reassuring the church, right? But. Don't forget it. Don't be like the world who doesn't care, doesn't even want to know. That's the stupor. The stupor is that it's not even that they don't care. It's that I don't want to know. Don't tell me I don't want to know. It says the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. In verse 11, I just found this chapter. I I stumbled... You know, I know these chapters, but I just stumbled upon these verses. You know, when you do that, you're reading, and all of a sudden these verses just come to life. And I'm like, wow, Lord God. It says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy. Everybody say holy. What holy and godly lives you should live. Because you're not unaware. Because you're on guard. Because you're clear-headed. That's how you live. You live sharp. You live focused. You live sober. You're looking for the Lord's coming. You're aware of the enemy's plans. You're aware of the Lord's plans. You're aware of the book of Revelation is unfolding. It's either unfolded already or it's going to unfold at any second. At every second of every day. That's how we live. And because of that, because of that, it says... He says, looking forward to the day of the Lord's coming and hurrying it along, verse 12. And he says, we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, right? Because we're not so obsessed with this place. The Lord has blessed us here, but we're looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth. And he says in verse 14, and so, dear friends, while you are waiting, everybody say, while we're waiting. And this is what that prophet, he's not calling himself a prophet, but he's obviously a prophet. You don't need to be titled that way if you bring a prophecy you are a prophet not that hard to figure out just maybe not the office but this prophet that's been bringing the dreams and visions and prophecies recently he said the reminded us of the verse occupy till i come that's what the bible says you know what occupying till i come means it doesn't just mean you know go in your backyard and just have a garden and just kind of like you know twiddle your thumbs and wait for my return it means i want you to be diligent I want you to be busy for my kingdom until the very last minute. You don't worry about when I'm coming because I'm going to surprise you, but you're aware that I'm going to come at any second, so you're constantly ready and doing what I've asked you to do, not what you want to do. Because we think we have time to do what we want to do, and then we'll get to what he's asked us to do. Little time for me, little time for him. I'm not opposed to the little time for you in the natural. I'm talking about your natural hours of your day. What I mean is in a, in a scale of life, how many people live their life? I'm not talking about taking an hour out of your day for yourself. That's not what I mean. Be, I wanna be clear, but how many times, how many people have you, have you met that are Christians, but they're just gonna live a little bit for themselves? You know, a little season for themselves, a couple of years for themselves. And then I'll get back to what the Lord's asked me to do. I just got some things to get set up, I've got some ducks I gotta get in a row. And then, you know, four or five years, that's my plan. Then I'll come back to the Lord. I still love him. I'm still a Christian. What are you talking about? Have you heard that? He says, so dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort. Everybody say every effort. It says in the New King James to be diligent. Everybody say the word diligent. Who heard the word diligent from your parents as a kid? We have a term for non-diligent. I can't say it from this pulpit. Everybody knows it in your mind, though. (laughs) God's not pleased with that. You know what he calls that? Lukewarm. Calls it lukewarm. You know what he says he does with lukewarm? I'm going to spew it out of my mouth. It's so distasteful to him. Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. It goes on. It's it's got some really amazing. I just read this whole chapter, but he goes on in verse 16. He's saying, you know, that Paul said some of these things and, and people have tried to twist it and turn it like they do with everything else in the scripture. But in verse 17, he says, but you already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. The New King James says, you know this beforehand. Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness did you hear me 2nd Peter chapter 3 Peter warns the church I want to warn you even though you're not the world and even though you're fully aware the world was destroyed by a flood The Lord loves people he loves this earth it broke his heart and it's gonna break his heart when he destroys it by fire but anyone who calls on him can be saved, and there's no fear in Him. We're, un, we're not caught unaware. We're looking. We're steadfast. But He warns us to be on guard because even we, if we let down our guard, why would we be on guard? So that we don't lose the ground that we have. Since you know this before Him, beware lest you also fall From your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. In the NLT, it says, Be on guard, then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. And what is this whole chapter talking about? I didn't plan on preaching this. I just had some of these verses because of on guard. This whole chapter is talking about, literally talking about, a time we're in right now. And, and, and warning us to not be light and loose and flippant and drunk like the world and and, and and just in a stupor or just to try to you know there's an occupy and then there's an occupy right I'm already I already made that point. We're going to occupy like the Lord has asked us to, which is with diligence and steadfastness. These are the words that He keeps giving my heart. And I've been bringing them. Vigilance, steadfastness, right? Diligence. These are the words the Lord's asking of us in this season. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word. Readiness is healthy Christianity. Everybody say that out loud. Readiness is healthy Christianity. In Nehemiah chapter 4, I just wanted you guys to look at something just for a few minutes. I won't carry on. I know that the Holy Spirit's preaching this sermon for me. But I want to look at this chapter. Last week we had talked about in Nehemiah how God had anointed him. Is everybody aware that God had anointed Nehemiah? The word's not clear whether the spark was in his heart from the Holy Spirit or he just saw the outrage. He saw his nation destroyed and he cried out to the Lord. It really doesn't matter. Sometimes the Lord reminds us and sometimes we are, you know, we look and we can't believe it and we call on him. One way or the other, what ends up happening is whether the Lord sparks it or we start it is that we call on him, right? And he calls on the Lord and the Lord promised Through his entire word, you call, you're going to get an answer, and he calls on the Lord. The Lord gives him favor. He sends him back to Israel, and they start rebuilding the wall, and they get to that halfway point we looked at last week, and then, you know, and and pressure came, and they were tempted to, to quit, and the enemy is going to try to to disrupt and distract. And I want to pick up right where we left off, just for a few minutes, in Nehemiah 4, verse 11. It says, Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. And the Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind The lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. So, Nehemiah has been anointed by the Lord. It's the Lord who did it, right? I already preached that last week, but we made it very clear. God did it, but they still had to go brick by brick, stone by stone, right? They still had to do the work. Don't be surprised that the enemy comes and tries. Meanwhile, you think that's enough. God, it's already enough. I'm already working. This is already harder than I expected, walking out what you asked me to do, living this life. Just living it is already hard, doing what you've asked us to do. And then you think that was hard. Now the enemy comes and tries to put extra pressure on you to try to just stop the whole thing altogether. And that's exactly what happens here. They say, we're going to attack them. And he says, so the response was, I placed armed guards. Even though that God has anointed us and God has given us everything we need, we know, we know Ephesians chapter 6, that it's in His strength, right? It's in the armor of God, it's in the strength of God. It's not in our own strength. But there is a, a part that we must play in this. And God uses people, and I've been making that point over and over and over again in the season, but I'm going to make it again, that uh, Jesus said to the disciples with them on the hill, right? He'd been preaching a long time, and they, the people were hungry, so the disciples said, send them off to go get something to eat. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. And then Jesus knows that his disciples, they say, that's impossible. We could never feed these people. We never have enough money or get enough food. Jesus is aware of that. So he says, bring it to me. He breaks it apart. He could have just supernaturally filled their stomachs. Jesus could have supernaturally handed it out to every single person instantly. And yet Jesus places it broken now back into the disciples' hands, and they distribute it to the people. That's God's way. That's his word. It's very rare that God just supernaturally fills the stomach most of the time through the word, He involves his people in the process of establishing his kingdom, establishing his glory in the earth, of being light, being salt, etc. Amen. And so, Nehemiah has been anointed by God, and the enemy has come to try to stop him. You need to know right now... And I didn't realize I was going to start with that. I thought I would end with that, but that's more important, that we're on guard because Jesus is, not, uh, Jesus is coming, not because the enemy is coming. We need to firstly thank you, Holy Spirit, for correcting my sermon. I thought that would be the second thing to look at, but that's really the most important thing. We're on guard because Jesus is coming. We're looking at him. Our focus is on him. That puts us on guard from the enemy automatically, doesn't it? automatically, we're already on guard. We're looking at the Lord. We're ready for Him. That keeps us holy. That keeps us righteous. That keeps us focused. The enemy has no in. He cannot touch the righteous. The enemy cannot touch the anointed. He could not touch Jesus. Even Jesus said, you're only touching me because I'm letting you. The enemy cannot touch you, but you know how he gets in? He gets in through sin. Gets in through open doors. He gets in when we let him in. When you get angry with your brother, the Bible says, be angry but don't sin. So when you let that anger open a door and the enemy comes in, now at that very moment you should be, I reject this thing, Lord forgive me, forgive them, I don't care, I'm letting it go, getting over it because I'm not giving them any foothold, but instead we let them in and now all of a sudden we're a Christian letting the devil work through us. That's how the enemy has power in us. What I want us to get today is that we need to be on guard. I guess more importantly, because again, the Holy Spirit's made it that way because Jesus is coming. But secondly, because the enemy's coming. You need to be on guard. The Lord's given you a mission to do. He's given you a task to do. This is a time to do a task. This is a time that it's not optional. Man, I'm hearing it from the Holy Spirit. He has not asked his church to pray. He's telling his church to pray. There's times when I ask my kids to do something, and there's times I'm telling them. And I don't need you to argue with me. You don't need to ask me questions. I don't need to explain it to you. Right now, just do what I'm telling you to do. It's not always like that, but sometimes it's like that. And that's where we're at, where the Lord's just saying, right now, I'm telling you to pray. I'm not asking you to pray. I'm telling you to seek me, and I'm telling you to pray. That's where we're at. And when we do that, the Bible says... This is what happened. The Bible says, so I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I looked for the exposed areas, and I put armed guards there. There's an issue in the nation here. There's an issue in the nation here. There's an issue in the nation here. And how do we, right, we don't war against flesh and blood. I don't have time to get into Ephesians 6. I'm so ambitious when I put my notes together, thinking I'm going to preach on certain things. And I think, well, this is still not even enough, and it's way more than I need in my, in my notes. But we just know, I can tell you, because we know the verses, we don't war against flesh and blood. So you don't need to carry a, 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 a real sword to fight the enemy that we're up against. The, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God, right? Pulling down strongholds. The weapon we have right now is holiness and righteousness and humility and out of that place that's the real weapon out of that place out of that place comes our prayers right because we don't pray out of humility your prayers are invalid so the real weapon is in the righteousness of God it's stand it's in him it's in him it's in humility before him and then my prayers suddenly have power I can we could go on and on about that but John said John said he said Uh, uh, Well, James, I'm thinking of two things at once, just quickly because I'm trying to move here. James said, you don't get what you ask for because you ask with the wrong motives. And then John says that we need to have the will of God, pray out the will of God, pray out the heart of God. We'll get what we receive because we have the will of God. So our weapon really is in Christ. It's really to be in him we stand in him right doing all that you have to stand and then the enemy does come but we're going to stand in him and so there are open doors and there are issues and there's stuff going on in your personal life in your family in your workplace in your church in your nation and we are called to look to see those things cuz we're vigilant cuz we're focused cuz we're not caught unaware we're seeing the things going on right and you're aware of those things all the time sometimes we just push them off to the side or we don't we just go into the stupor and we don't care. And we cannot do that. When we see the issue, we must put a guard in that area. And the way we put the guard is, first of all, it must be, again, humble and in the Lord and in his strength. And then out of that place, Lord Jesus, I pray in the name of Jesus over that whole situation. I pray that you expose it. And I pray, Lord God, that you bring the right people in and take on that position. And I pray that, Lord God, you humble them. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you turn this thing around. And we begin to pray. That's how we put the armed guards in place. And he goes on, he says, And I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords and spears and bows. And then I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. We remember the Lord, but we do the fighting. Even when we read the word, it says that God will fight for you. He even says that, verse 20, God will fight for us. When I read Nehemiah, though, I don't see God fighting for them. I see them armed and standing. And yet God is fighting for them because he's fighting through them. I want you to say this out loud. God fights the enemy through me. Don't be afraid to say that. That's not prideful. In fact, the enemy would love that you didn't know that and didn't think that, because that's how God does it. That's his word. When I read my word, God raised up Elijah, and Elijah took a sword, and he slaughtered those false prophets. God didn't do it. God showed himself strong. He licked up the water and burned up the offering, and he showed that it was him, and then Elijah slaughtered the enemy. David was a man after God's own heart, and he had so much blood on his hands, he couldn't even build the temple. He's a man after God's own heart. I know this is like, but that's where we're at. That's where you need to realize. You need to fight for this nation. You need to fight for your family. You need to fight for your churches across this nation. You need to fight. I'm not talking about for your right to wear or not wear a mask. I'm talking about your right to be a Christian in the USA. That's what we're heading towards. You think it's about just everybody's going to get their fair share? Man, I want to say some other words you can't say from the pulpit. Sorry. Not that it's in my heart, but just that's what I think of that. Hey, Paul says it. Paul calls it dung. Let's just call it that. It's dung. The very next step... The very next step is to remove your right to be a Christian. I promise you, and it's not because that's my opinion. Look at history. You let this enemy in, he's going to remove your right to be a Christian. We need to stand right now. You have to stand. And he goes on to say, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Verse 15, our enemies heard of our plans, and God frustrated them. So they were ready. They stood, and then God did some things behind the scenes. But he did it because they stood in the gaps, literally stood in the gaps. And then God frustrated them. I don't know. I don't know what would have happened if they didn't stand in the gaps. The story doesn't tell me. But I wonder if God wouldn't have frustrated the plans if all the gaps were left open. Does God in heaven say, well, you don't even care about your city, so why should I? I don't think he does, but maybe. Because my word says over and over and over and over and over again, calling us to stand and us to be steadfast and us to be vigilant and us to fight. So, I don't know what would have happened here, but it says that God frustrated, verse 15, their plans, but... They stood, so it says we all returned to our work on the wall, but from then on only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears. This is not a time, this is not a time we're in. Uh, I mentioned fringe Bible studies. You don't need to worry about all the fringe stuff. You need to worry about right now uh, if we should be playing guitars or not playing guitars in church, right? That's a fringe Bible study. That's something to be talked about. When we've got time and we don't have time. I said it last week. It came from the Holy Spirit. It wasn't even me. But it's probably the most uh, profound thing that I've said all along. And it was totally, I just, it came out of my mouth. I take zero credit for it. But we're fighting over which way the toilet paper goes. Well, someone's breaking in the back door of the house. That's where it's at. We need to put the fights aside. It's stupidity right now. It's total utter stupidity to be fighting over anything but fighting for this nation, fighting for the freedom that God granted us and gave us. There was blood, sweat, and tears that were poured into this soil for us to sit here in freedom. That's both militarily and There were so many preachers, so many revivals when this nation started going astray that God used to bring it back over and over and over again. And if we don't respect that, it's not just that we're going to lose it, but God will look at us as literally trampling upon it. He said about the Old Testament covenant, And the New Testament covenant of his blood. And he said, you know, they disrespected it. And there was some consequences. But if you don't respect what I've done, you're trampling on the blood of my son. That's what God said. We'd be literally trampling on the blood of the men and the women that paid a price for our freedom. The men and the women that came here and went across the Finneys. that went across the East Coast and and raised this nation up again. Just got the people uh, fighting for their families, getting a, a fight inside of them to stand for the Lord again and not get caught off and become something else. Become a nation that God never wanted. And it just goes on, it says, he, he goes on for all these verses, he's saying that they had their sword belted to their side. And then he says, the trumpeter went out and he said, if something happens, blow the trumpet and we'll all come close. In verse 20, and God will fight for us. And we worked early And late, from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. And I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. This is a time, not just he's building the walls or restored the walls, but get inside, stand in the gaps. It says, that way they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. So there was no hour that was unattended. There was no gap that was not filled during this time. Everybody say, during this time. You realize that there was a specific time. They didn't have to do this once the gaps were filled. Eventually, we don't have time, but in chapter 7, the doors get uh, closed, the gates get shut. He gives them a new commission then in chapter 7 to not leave the gates open and to stay on duty. But the carrying the spear while they worked, that season was over. There will be a time that this season comes to an end, but this season must be attended to with tenacity. He said, During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me ever took off our clothes. There's so many spiritual implications here. I plan on preaching so many more things out of this. You can look at Ephesians 6, talking about taking off the armor. All right we don't take it off we carried our weapons with us at all times even when we went for water this is where this land is at we must be on guard we must just keep going i'm going to be a broken record until it's finished but we must keep going and keep praying don't let your guard down don't let your guard down and especially do not give an entrance. This is a national thing, but we're the enemy. We don't have time to get into it, but the enemy, you know what he did, and I'll talk about it next week. If he can't get the nation, then he tried to get the leader. If he can't get the, if he can't get the USA to stop praying, then what he's, and, and national movements, he'll come to individuals, and then he'll try to intimidate and get the person. He'll get the person that's praying and won't stop praying, then he'll start trying to get the person into their own personal fears and worries and doubts and struggles and sins, etc. That's another sermon. We'll get into that. But that we must put this guard up. We must stand. It's a time. Amen. And with that, Lord Jesus, we just thank you and we praise you. We glorify you, Lord. We thank you, God, that the angels. Lord, we just put the angels. Lord God, your word says to call. And the Lord, your word says to ask you for help. The word says, Lord God, just like he did, to remember that the Lord will fight for us. Lord, we remember you, but we also, we stand. You told us to stand as well. So we know who you are, but we also need to know who we are, that you have placed us here with a purpose and we occupy diligently, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us wisdom. We thank you, Lord, you've given us eyes to see and ears to hear that, Lord, we are not caught unaware and we are diligently looking for your coming. But Lord, in the meantime, just like the scripture says, Lord, until that day, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are sharp and we're sober and we're vigilant. And Lord, your word doesn't give us an excuse. Your word does not say only when hard times come. Your word says to be like that always. So, Lord God, we thank you that if it says it always, then we certainly must be like that right now. So, Lord, help us to do it. Holy Spirit, help us to do that in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.